to a pleasure podcast for more from our sex podcast collective visit pleasurepodcasts.com thanks for tuning in sluts and scholars is a sex positive shame-free educational podcast where we try to help you talk smart and fuck smarter while we love to give advice and resources please note that this podcast or any emails from us are not intended to be therapy or a replacement for therapy Welcome back to another week of Sluts and Scholars. I'm Nicoletta Heidegger, and I'm a licensed marriage and family therapist and sexologist. And this week, I'm welcoming Sid Wilder. She is a comedian, actress, model, writer, and digital influencer. Her work can be found on things like Funny or Die, College Humor, HuffPo, BuzzFeed, Cosmo, Tosh.0 on Comedy Central. Uh, Her modeling has also been featured in Maxim and Sports Illustrated. Um, I think she was named Ask Top... Ask Men's Top 99 Crush List of 2016 and Playboy's Top 10 Hottest YouTubers of 2015. But she's also a big advocate for mental health and always wants to spread the message that people can overcome the tragedies in their life and thrive in the wake of trauma. She's got a top podcast that I was on recently called Girl Interrupted, where she discusses her battles with trauma and mental health and interviews others who've overcome their trauma and addictions. On her podcast, no subject is off limits, as you will probably hear, and each episode has its own flavor made with love um, in the hopes that you can find some fun in your dysfunction and today we're doing a collab so if it feels like we're both interviewing each other um, that might be happening welcome Sid oh my gosh Nicoletta that was the most beautiful intro ever now I feel like such a jackass because I record mine at a different time but that was (laughs) awesome thank you well, honestly, you wrote all of it. I just spliced it together. So but the it's fact- so funny. People always say it was the best intro. And I'm like, well, you wrote it. <laughs> <laughs> but you delivered it with such grace. And you're like, oh, shit. <laughs> is, is that really me? Like, thank you. Perfect. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So when I first like f- was looking at your Insta, I was like, okay, well, what does she do? Is she just super confident with her body? Is she also in sex work? And then you kind of shared with me and told me that you found yourself like auditioning for lots of parts that involve like being a sexual person. And I'm super curious, like how you got involved in that in the acting realm, because let's face it, like a lot of Hollywood stuff, like there's sex everywhere, but it's also pretty like conservative ish you know with with uh streaming now you can do pretty much whatever you want and so it's i feel like any streaming show is basically treated as hbo was like cable back in the day and what sells there is racy sexy provocative scenes and yeah i embrace that i actually in atlanta i i before i moved out to la when i was 16 i used to twerk and so i think i kind of and salsa dance and i think i kind of got comfortable within my body and my sexuality then because that was just what I did. And I, I made money. So that was definitely a motivator. <laughs> but yeah, so that's how I kind of got comfortable with it. And then when it came to auditioning, I, I tried to like plain Jane myself out. Zoe Deschanel was a really big like girl at the time. And, you know, kind of being that quirky girl next door was in. Yeah, and, the manic pixie dream girl. Yes. And, you know, Playboy was kind of like coming down. and And I was trying to be that and I just wasn't getting any any roles and so I was like all right 
I guess I'm just going to go for it, like sex it up. And I started booking stuff. My first role, I played a prostitute for the New York Film Academy. And I uh, was actually on Hollywood Boulevard, just like Pretty Woman as a street hooker. And I got paid in pizza. It was great. Um, but yeah, I, I've always played like porn stars, prostitutes, strippers, you name it. So I've just been very comfortable. And I got to dominate Danielle Tosh, which is how I got into kink, believe it or not. How was that? A lot of fun. It was because he's such an asshole and he likes to get everything done in one take. So and it's really stressful because you book the audition and the next day you're on set. I literally am just getting out of the shower. Their studio is in Culver City. I live in the valley. So it's about an hour to maybe even hour and a half drive, as you know, in California. I'm dripping wet and the producers call me. Oh, Daniel wants we're running ahead of schedule. Daniel wants to shoot now. And I'm like, oh my gosh, I have to arrive, you know, hair and makeup ready. And I'm like, oh, okay. So I get there and he's just like, don't you know any positions? And I'm like, I'm an actor. I'm not a professional dominatrix because he wanted to put me in all these like different yoga positions because he had a Why ball. do you think he didn't hire a, domi- a professional dominatrix? It's probably because he would be too intimidated. <laughs> he likes to be the dom, that one. He likes to be the dom. But uh, yeah, it was, uh, it was a fun experience. I still get paid for it, so... How has it been playing those roles and also maybe knowing about the the stigma associated with actually having that be your livelihood? Great question. I feel like I carry that stigma because I'm kind of a part of all of it, right? With the Instagram and the modeling and everything. It's I'm sort of like feeding this machine. And growing up, seeing my sister transitioning from being a Hooters model to a playmate, which is nudity, then transitioning into girl-on-girl porn. It was a lot. The stigma and how society treated her was a lot for me to process. And even as like a young woman, I was like, I that's honestly when I first moved out and I found out she was doing girl-girl stuff, the whole family kind of stopped talking to her. And we were the problem. And it was like, a lot for us all to process. And I kind of became really religious and like, you know, wanted to not do any of that uh, provocative stuff. And um, then we just all came to a point of acceptance and it took a while to get there, but it's such a beautiful thing when you can differentiate what someone does for a living versus who they are as a person. And that doesn't necessarily mean any of it's wrong. Did that answer your question? (laughs) Yeah, and... Obviously, there is a judgment from some people that just because you do something that makes you some lesser than of a person, I guess. So, like, most of my sex worker friends are, like, some of the best people I know. They're great people. Yeah, speaking of, like, and that's where I think it's really confusing, too, especially with my, like, being in the entertainment business. I'll tell you straight up. I, and going up to the Playboy Mansion all the time, there's obviously girls that have a lot of sugar daddies. There's girls that marry for money, which is basically like executive level sex work, in my opinion. But yet they're not stigmatized if they marry right. You know what I mean? And it's mm-hmm. it's so unfair. The, ho- the hierarchy, they call it. Yes. And I think that's just so unfair. And, you know, in, in the acting business... And and I feel like in any field, because everyone whores themselves out in some capacity for something. You know what I mean? We're all whores. We all have different prices, wanting different things. And I just, I hate the judgment that people give to women and men that are in that community 
that really they all end up there because of some trauma or maybe not all of them, but the large majority of them do. And they're the people that need the support. They need the love. You know, if they had different resources, not all of them probably would end up in that business. And the ones that still would support them anyway. I just don't, I don't like people that treat them, as you said, less than because we're all human and we all deserve to be treated as humans, regardless of what we're doing for our our professions. So how did you get to the place that you're at now coming from this sort of religious upbringing? You know, it's so funny too, because I'll see some Bible verses sometimes that people will post because my dad is like, my dad is such a character, that one. I can laugh at it, but because like I've accepted it and it's taken a lot of time and years. My dad likes to use God as like a control thing. Like God doesn't want you to do that. And I'm like, really? I think it's you. And he's like, no, God doesn't want you to do this. I'm like, okay, that's that's definitely you. So he uses that like, as a barrier. So when I see some people like preaching religious stuff at me, I always wonder where it's coming from. And your religion or your spirituality, whatever it is that you choose to believe is yours. You deserve to have that relationship. And it's it shouldn't be influenced by other people. And it's okay if it's positively influenced. Obviously, we all want that, but you don't always know where everyone's coming from. You don't know if someone's got an angle or if someone's trying to like manipulate you. I hate to view the world that way. <laughs> But, you know, there are televangelists for a reason. So I just think at the end of the day, it's about your relationship with your higher power. And I had to slowly get to that place. It took a lot of like self-work and questioning what I read and where all these theories came from. And well, I think on your Instagram, it says like, God still loves me after seeing my page. So I don't know if that's like a shtick or if you do have a a belief in God and a a faith. And if you do, I'd be curious, like, if not a punishing one, like who is your God to you? That's a great question too. Um, I am a non-denominational cursing human inappropriate Christian and I do whatever I want and I don't always live by the book and I'm not always going to live by the book. You got to sin in order to be forgiven. Okay. I'm not going to keep repeating the same mistakes. But I don't judge other people. That's I remember when I was 14 years old and I was in Tennessee and I was doing some music thing or something and I had a cross on with this outfit. I'll never forget the shame I got for wearing an outfit, which I mean, so tame, you know, compared to now. And someone's like, I can't believe that you had a cross on with that outfit. And I was like, so hurt, you know, like that really hurt me. And it looking back at that now, I'm like, gosh, people that or Christians can be so fucking judgmental in whatever religion that you're in. And I just, I hate the hypocrisy and the judgment that's tied to religion. I don't like that. That's why I I like the whole spiritual component. But again, it's whatever you believe in and whatever you love, you know, it's got to work for you. But I don't agree with some of the Bible verses. I feel like there needs to be some updates, you know, I definitely don't agree with all of them. I think there's some typos. Cur- I'd be curious to read your updates. <laughs> well, honey, that would take so much time. I have not delved that deep into I'm from the Qu- South. Quarantine so. project, rewriting the Bible. Could you imagine? That would actually be really funny if I could do that. I did post a Bible <laughs> verse on my Instagram the other 
other day. <laughs> well, but we like I've had a few people on who have talked about religion, both from a way of like, oh, I've escaped and survived my religion and other folks who are like, I'm a sex educator who's also super Christian. So I, I would encourage folks to, to check some of those out just to hear like the different, all the different perspectives and kind of going back to the like stigma and judgment. I think at least when I think of Hollywood, I think of like sex cells and I also think of, like we were talking about, maybe like shame and taboo for being like too sexual. And so I'm curious, like what's been maybe a positive for you of like leaning into the comfort of like showing off your body and being so open and talking about sex? And have there been costs um, in your profession? Another great question. Um, I don't get a lot of sponsorships because I talk about sexual stuff. And the, one of the most frustrating things for me as a performer in this business is, you know, you have to, quote unquote, be attractive and stay attractive and looking good. And, you know, as you said, sex sells, everyone says that, but you can't sell it too much. You still have to be able to work for QVC or Disney or whatever. Okay, so like, what is this balance? Like, how do you even find that? Or do you even care? I, at this point, do not give a fuck. And I'm just doing me because... The last person that I was managed by wanted to just tame it all down. And it almost felt to the point where I just like had to like do every and I had no problem taking my makeup off and showing what I really look like. I love that. I think it's cool to show the transformation in both sides of things. I think it's unhealthy if all you do show is your tits and your, you know, body and then like all only done up. Like show everything. Like show the authentic part. Don't be afraid of that. Embrace that. There's beauty in all all different stages of life. But that one particular manager just like basically always wanted me to look that, that way. And hell, if I was getting a part and I was on SNL, I'd have no fucking problem doing that. But it felt like I was just removing so much of who I was with my sexuality and, and enjoying that talk. As comedians, especially, everything is blue. You go to a comedy club, what you get laughs on is dark dark humor, blue blue humor, cursing, being what is inappropriate. Blue, what is blue humor? Sexual humor. So oh, like okay. sex jokes, dick jokes, you know, pussy jokes that that's what gets you to laugh. Like, look at Amy Schumer, you know, like that's what she built her whole career on saying pussy. So it's it's such a double edged sword. And I feel like and I, I don't want to because I love Amy Schumer and I don't want to like come off the wrong way by saying this. But I think because I had the whole like playboy thing and, you know, I learned how to paint my face and look a certain way to like, you know, because I don't look like this without makeup on your whatever my photos look like. I've looked like two different bitches and I'm okay with that because <laughs> that bitch takes a lot of work. But I got a lot of shit for looking like that and, you know, being sexual. So again, that's another double edged sword that it's very frustrating. Like you can only be sexual or inappropriate if you don't look um, like appealing in some way or? Yes basically yeah and it's like you're judged you're judged on being pretty and funny but you can't be too pretty yeah basically yeah yeah How? and i've never I don't want to say like what makes out. you want to be in the field like, i know well, I'm like, maybe, maybe you don't have a choice because it's what you love but like how do you work in a system like that i'll probably end up being a dominatrix <laughs> I mean, nothing wrong with that. 
I'll probably take out all of my aggression from everybody. <laughs> well, I hope Tosh revisits you when you have all your Dom experience. I know. Uh, no, I honestly, uh, my podcast, like paving my own way with that, I think showing that vulnerability, different sides, um, has really opened a lot more doors for me and it's been great. And honestly, writing and creating and producing your own shit, that's the only only time I wasn't a bikini girl getting killed by some fake monster that was never there in lingerie, <laughs> you know, uh, that's like the only time I've ever been able to do really cool roles and really like go outside of the casting category that they want to put me in is when I did it myself. And I've gotten tons of views and great work. It's just a lot to produce. You know, it's hard to sustain. What's been a project that you're most proud of? Um, I, gosh, I love all my character work. That's probably my favorite thing. Uh, I, do you I, have like, re do you have repeat characters? Yeah, Misty and Francis are some of my favorites. Oh, um, can you introduce me? To Misty? Oh, look, I, bitch, I don't know you ready for Misty. Like, she's, she's pretty wild, you know, like, you gotta check her out on like Instagram and shit. She'd be there. <laughs> and then Francis. Francis is really uncomfortable and nervous. She doesn't really like public speaking, so you're just going to have to see her. <laughs> <laughs> and do you feel like these are parts of yourself, or like where do you come up with these characters? Oh, yeah. I, well, I was a, a, did the Growlings in Second City and UCB and did the writing program there. So, like, I've always loved character development and, and writing. And um, they all come from different, obviously, the people closest to you. Francis was actually from my ex husband's. Um, Oh gosh, this is like should have known that whole thing wasn't going to work out when I like met the family. She and the my sister-in-law did not talk to anybody or the brother-in-law. Like she was just like that, like eyes wide looking across the room. If you made eye contact with her, she would look down or look away and it would be a sharp turn. Like, you know, it's like almost looking at a fish in a fish tank and then the fish like makes like a, a jerk. You know, hmm. that kind of mannerism. So I was like, ooh, I'll take that. You know, I, I see little mannerisms and I pick it up, you know, and then I'll add some flavor in, into it. And then, um, you know, my friends were having like dating problems and ugh, I always have dating problems. But, you know, I add that component into it. Like she's never been married or she's the girl that like never leaves. Um, and you just keep building and it's it's fun. I have a character reel and all that stuff. Is, it's, it's online. But yeah, I love character work. Something that I think is really interesting, I, I've seen a lot of comics in my, in my private practice and just with, with friends and colleagues and, and all of that, there seems to be this intersection of people who want to do comedy and people who are processing um, trauma. What do you think is this overlap of like comedians and trauma? That's such a nice way to say you're all fucked up because that is exactly what we all are. <laughs> I mean, look, we all, I'm not a comedian. We all have our shit. So I don't mean it like that, but more like, do you think there's something about comedy that, that maybe draws in that, that shadow part of self, I guess? Of course it does. Com comedians are some of the most tortured souls in this entire world, which is why I really didn't enjoy the stand-up aspect of it all. Not to mention the grind was really hard, but people that are attracted to comedy are all in pain. That's why they're so funny because they've had to 
learn how to be funny because their life has been really tough on them. There's a, I don't even know if there's a percentage of people that have had, Will Ferrell is the only person that I know has had a quote unquote normal like life, but he's not a standup. He is considered a comedian though. Um, to where it's the stage and being in that environment is the only thing that gives them that sense of peace and purpose. And it's not a good place to be. It's like you're a bull in the arena, you know, constantly having to deal with people hitting and throwing things at you and dealing with heavy shit. It's, it's a hard life. Yeah, I mean, it seems like if you're dealing with things like not feeling great about yourself and self-esteem, that it would be a really difficult the worst place thing but it but it like it attracts people who like already have that going on yeah which is so why it's I'm like, like maybe you're all just kinky like you know masochists i think that's very accurate actually <laughs> um that's so true i know i guess like maybe that so you didn't know you were into kink but you were an emotional masochist maybe before i know that every comic is an emotional masochist i was thinking about it. i was like shit i didn't even realize like this is why i didn't like it so much like it's one thing if you're doing sketch and you're like more in control but stand up ooh, that's a real masochist there like that's like Ugh, a lot of psychopaths too. <laughs> so how do you st- how do you stay grounded in like doing that work? I don't do stand up anymore. I've retired. I was like, I can't do this shit. This is not for me. Like, it's just not. Um, I still love comedy. I still love doing the internet stuff. Honestly, my podcast is really grounding for me because I get to talk to wonderful people like you who have such beautiful perspectives of this world and open you up to new experiences and new thought processes and, and help you, um, in so many ways. And obviously do a fuck ton of therapy too. I have two therapists, but you know, (laughs) um, that's also Also that, (laughs) you know, that's also really important, but I was like answering it more from like a career perspective because I don't like, you can't put all of your eggs in that basket, but you also don't want to spread yourself too thin. You know what I mean? And so it seems like you're pretty open about like trauma work that you're doing on your podcast. Yeah, of course. Go for it. Ask me anything. What kinds of things have you, you know, shared that has like especially landed well with listeners and that they've really resonated with? Well, the episode where I talk about suicide has really helped. Uh, I got I can't I still get so many wonderful messages from everybody um, that are too afraid to speak on that or don't want to let other people know that they've gone through that because they just it's too shameful for them which why i think it's so important if like you really need to ask yourself are you okay with this before you start talking because once you say something you can't unring the bell you know um especially in this atmosphere and then be prepared that's what i wish someone would have told me once i like came out with my story is be prepared for people to not believe you that was hard for me to accept when you're like trying to be so vulnerable. But um, EMDR has really helped um, for my personal journey. And it's so cool to talk to all different types of therapists because there's so many different types of trauma therapy out there. I've talked about EMDR a couple of times on the podcast, but if you would be comfortable sharing like what the experiences is like as a client. Yeah. Um, I didn't really get it at first. I, I like was my... Uh, they attach your brain to these little pieces of 
like metal with like tape on the end of it or glue or whatever it is. So for, for people who don't know, EMDR stands for eye movement desensitization and reprocessing. And there's a couple ways of doing it. Um, but basically it's sort of like working in a somatic way in your body to correct and sort of change neural pathways as a response to trauma. So it doesn't like make you forget what happened, but the goal is to sort of um, build your resiliency skills and like minimize your, your body's reactivity to trauma. Gosh, I love you for saying that. (laughs) But that's like the sciencey shit. And when I explain that to clients, they're like, what is that? So I would love to hear like from a client perspective, like what, what happens in, and it doesn't always look the same. So this is just your experience with it. Of course, of course. So uh, I would look at a screen and I would, uh, I had to, cause there's different types of machines that you can do this on, but the one that I had, um, I had a clicker in my hand and I just clicked um, left and right. And I watched a dial on this computer screen go by and I did the first session. I, did, I was like, "What the fuck is this? This is so stupid. It doesn't work. I like don't know why I even wasted my time doing this." But there was something in me that was like, "Just give it another try. Like, don't like just completely knock it. You haven't seen any results yet. Like, just go back." So I did. And by the second session, at the time, I was so stressed out because I was dealing with all my divorce psychoness or whatever. And <laughs> this is how fucked up you know, people are, I was, I'm a cancer survivor, but I was smoking at the time. And when I went back in, I told her, I was like, listen, I need to stop this. This is terrible for my health. The second session that I had, I quit smoking after I did it. And she asked me to fill out this form. I don't know what it was. ISIS. I think it's called ISIS, the ISIS form. Do you know what I'm talking about? I'm not an EMDR therapist, so I'm uh, not familiar. Okay. So Whatever I did on that computer that day with the touching, and it, this isn't like a willpower thing. I, I know it had to do with the EMDR. I didn't, I stopped smoking. And I... And was the smoking sort of a, a coping thing for trauma that you had used uh, before? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. That was like always kind of like um, my go-to, you know, because dealing with a divorce and all of the shit that went with all of that was a lot. So that was kind of like my thing. And I was so grateful for that. So the EMDR does work and it doesn't always work for everybody, but it, it helped me. Yeah. So for some people, it also looks like, um, you have these little like vibrating pads on your hands and it alternates and you kind of go through different like parts of the, the trauma feelings in your body. Um, as you're doing the work for some people, it's physical eye movements. Like someone's doing like a, they have like a little wand and you're like tracking it. Um, but it, if you're interested in it, I recommend the book called The Body Keeps the Score um, by this guy, Bessel van der Kolle. Um, I think I said his name right. But um, anyway, that's good shit. Check it out. Um, and are you in a space today where you're uh, willing to talk about suicide? Of course. Thank you for asking in such a great way. That is one of the most polite ways anyone's ever asked me that question. How do people usually ask it? It's always so, they always expect me to talk about it because, you know, I obviously talk a lot, but I, I, sometimes you're not always in the mood and only a therapist would know to ask that way because some days you're just like, this is not a good day for me to talk about this, you know? All right. So content warning, we're going to be talking about some suicide and suicide adjacent stuff. So if you're not in the space to hear that today, uh, fast forward, pause, uh, turn on something else. Yeah. So... You call yourself a suicide survivor. 
Um, what does that mean? Is that mean you attempted and survived? I did. So in 2016, uh, and I, I'm going to say this like really fast because I've said this story a lot and it's... Uh, yeah, and I want people to maybe listen to the longer episode of, of your... Oh, thank uh, you. Going over experience. Yeah, you can check that out on Girl Interrupted. So the first episode, I actually have my therapist. She's not a technical therapist like you. I respect that. I get the degree situation now as she is a counselor, crisis counselor. But I um, I was There's going- all, all kinds of people doing mental health work and um, some have degrees and some don't. And sometimes I prefer to send folks to folks who don't have degrees. So it's, you know, it is what it is. Thank you. That's so sweet coming from you because you're so smart. Um, <laughs> okay. So look, there's a lot of people with degrees that I would never send any clients to. And a lot of people who have maybe not even graduated high school that I trust with my clients. So uh, it really depends. Preach sister, preach. Okay. Okay, so here's the story. So um, obviously I've dealt with a lot of trauma, rape, um, abuse, uh, everything under the sun. So 2012, my stepfather committed suicide. I was in the next room and I no one saw it coming. He stopped taking his bipolar medication. He was on a manic episode. Nobody knew it. We didn't even know he was bipolar. Um, so that was a lot to process. So that's a part of uh, why I say suicide survivor in, in my bio. And then to cope with that trauma, my grandfather had also died three weeks prior to that. My grandfather was like my father figure, my dad, my rock, my everything. Um, my stepfather was at the funeral with me. And then three weeks later, like literally nine days before my birthday, all of that happened. So that's a lot for a 21 year old to process. Um, and then I turned 22 and then my ex-boyfriend who's also deceased <laughs> He was run over by a train in 2015. I You've had a lot of loss. A lot of loss, girl. I'm so used to losing. Um, uh, we were on and off since I was 17. He was like the love of my life. You know, I, I like loved him so much, but he couldn't keep his dick in his pants. So I, he was just that guy. And I was like, okay, I need to break this pattern of being with him. This isn't healthy. And after all of that, uh, all of the deaths in my life, I decided I was going to break up with him. One month later, I met my ex-husband four months later we got married and engaged he turned out to be a narcissistic um sociopath and he was cheating on me with porn stars and escorts my entire marriage i got cervical cancer um i was in and out of the hospital for bacterial infections i didn't know what was wrong with my body i might say my pussy turned into the grinch because it was it did it was always like mean and green and angry at everything and i never knew what was going on with my body um and then it ultimately ended up being cancer so i left that relationship it was really hard um when you're going through that type of abuse you kind of have like stockholm syndrome and you get so addicted to it which kind of ties into the comedy and stuff because like you know you're so conditioned to being treated that way which is mistreated um that breaking that pattern was really, really hard, even though every like I should have left and it was like really hard, but I did. Well, it sounds like the common theme between that and comedy is like an experience of extremes, like extreme shittiness, extreme pain, but also like extreme like passion and and appreciation. Yeah, that's true. You know, that's true. I like how you asked. You were asking like a question at the end of that with your inflection. It was everything. Um, (laughs) Well, I was like trying. I don't know how you feel about it, but in my head, the 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 similarity sounds like 
yeah, just like high highs and low lows. And that's kind of how the narcissists, oh, sociopathic yes. people work, you know, just enough to keep you in. Oh, yes. Um, yes. It, he, he mirrored me. And but also make me. you feel like shit. Yes. And, and it's it's that was like the hardest thing because you like get addicted to it when you get a little bit of it and then you right so c- the same with comedy it's like okay I got this role but then here are all these other people who say I suck but then uh, I better stay yes that's ex- so true oh my gosh you're like yes that's I've never heard it articulated that way but yes that's exactly what happened um, so I finally left that situation in, in December 15 and then um, in 2016 and, and of course I was financially ruined from all of that like I had no money and um, I'm very honest about this I got back together with my ex-boyfriend and um, I I wouldn't have been able to leave if I didn't do that and that ex-boyfriend turned out to be married with four kids did not know and um, also fucked my sister so once I found out all of that information uh, I did a lot of drugs and uh, drank a lot and I attempted to end my life and I'm so glad that I'm still here to live to tell all these horrible things that have happened but I've come out on the other end and I'm okay I'm obviously my life isn't perfect nobody's life is perfect but I'm here for a reason and I have struggled I've gone through my ups and downs but I call myself a suicide survivor because I've survived it from both ends even though suicide is technically an an end that's a long answer to your fucking question. <laughs> no, look, I, I think that, and if you are struggling with it, there's uh, a lot of great resources on this. Um, I particularly like uh, Dee Dee Hirsch. Um, and especially if you don't have money, they also have like suicide survivor groups. And that could be if you yourself have survived an attempt or um, if you have family members who have taken their own life and, and died by suicide or um, died as a result of depression using suicide. So um, yeah, check out Dee Dee Hirsch um, and they have a 24 seven hotline as well. Um, but what do you think is the worst thing that someone could say to a suicide survivor? Like what's the shit that like, Maybe someone would ask you or like that you would not want to hear. You're faking it. If you're really going to kill yourself, you would have already done it. Hmm, Like you're a failure. Like you couldn't even kill yourself. You're like you must have not meant it. Yeah. That's a really fucked up thing to say to somebody that's gone through that. Or you're like you're faking it. You're doing it for attention. Like like, that's like a terrible. Like why would I? I've had some people and that like really affected me in the beginning because like I don't have to talk about this shit. Do you think I want to talk about this humiliating stuff? I literally don't have to, but I'm doing it because I was so sick of not speaking my truth and just pretending and hiding behind a fucking Instagram filter. Like I wanted to be authentic. I wanted to be real. I wanted to share my experiences with the world. So that look, even if someone is doing it, quote unquote, for attention or whatever the people are saying to you, like clearly to me, that's they're really struggling with something else, you know? So So like, even if for whatever the reason, like that person needs help too. Of course. And now I'm like, I'm sure you get like this too as a therapist because you hear it all, you know, you hear like, there's like probably nothing that phases you. So you're just like, okay, all right, great. Like now I'm like, also I've heard it so much too. It's like, okay, like what, can you like have some new material for me, please? Because this is like so done. I mean, okay, well, let me, let me try, let me try to break in some new material. Um, (laughs) I, something that I don't hear a lot of people talk about is sexuality after suicide attempts, um, or just sexuality and depression and things like that. But I think 
the way I look at depression or suicide attempts or suicide survival is um, I think people can often see that person as fragile or like weak in certain ways. And so I do wonder like, how do you think it's maybe impacted the way that you see yourself sexually or that partners treat you sexually? Wow. Nobody's ever thought about that question or ever asked me that question. But I think that in and of itself is the problem, right? Because they think that, oh, because maybe you're fighting for survival that you're not thinking about your sexuality. Right. No. And I, to be quite honest with you, from my personal experience, when I got out of the psych ward, uh, actually, first of all, let me just state this. That'll make for some great comedy material. Oh, girl, I have it. Like, that's like a whole different episode because I have so much stuff I've written. <laughs> like, um, what do you do for grounding techniques? Oh, I make jokes about my suicide. <laughs> <laughs> See, that's good fun. It's like fucking amazing. See, I love like being able to laugh at that shit because it's so fucking funny. But to get into the psych war shit, um, they're really horny in there. Let me just say. And I something happened with the transfer situation. Um, I think that there's definitely some nurses fucking some of the patients to speak on sex and like mental health. Like I'm not even like bullshitting you. That's fucked up. I know it's really, really fucked up, but um, you didn't hear it from me because I don't want to get not fucked up because people are having desires, but fucked up because of the, the power dynamic and you know, can you consent to someone who's also helping be responsible for your life in that way exactly exactly i didn't like luckily all the men and women that i dealt with were great but it was the women with the male patients i didn't see any like foul play um in opposite roles anyway so um when i got out there i was smothered my personal experience i was smothered by my ex he like was all i wanted was just like be time to like breathe and like process everything and um he was just like shh and honestly, he had like a lot of sexual like dysfunctions. He had to like inject his penis with like Cavajet and like uh, take like Cialis or whatever it is uh, to keep, which is there's nothing wrong with that. But emotionally, it's like I have to be such a cheerleader for him when I'm just like, I need to be like, just to even to like think about having sex, you know, like that, like there's a whole like, there was a whole process with him. And like the way I was trying to deal with it was like, I'm not even in the mood, you know, like I just want to try to like stay alive. And to be honest, I was reading a lot of great Bible verses then too. Like I was more focused on that than I was my sexuality. But then mm-hmm. I had Laid in America coming out where I'm playing a fucking sex, a sex coach. Universal has this fucking red carpet, you know, and I have to be like this hot, sexy thing. And by that point, like, even though I was kind of like a little afraid to be like out in public so much, I was, you know, I wanted to like have sex. I was interest like hey i'm playing a fucking sex coach and i'm wearing this hot outfit like yeah i want to have sex but there's emotions tied to that for me and that's what i think a lot of people have this misconception because i'm so open and positive about my body i don't want to just fuck anyone i want to have like a connection with somebody and it's hard to do that when you don't have that connection with yourself so it took me some time to really like work on myself and rebuild my self-confidence, um, all the broken pieces from all of those traumatic relationships, which hell girl, you don't even realize like some shit pops back up that you need to be like, Oh shit. Okay. I got to work on that again. I got some anger issues that are coming out or whatever it is. But I, I definitely got to a place where I was like hypersexual and I just wanted to fuck, 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 fuck. Cause there was this one loser guy that I was hanging out with that was like, you know, that guy that you date after, a relationship that's just like 
not healthy for you but the sex was really good what are you good. talking about i've never had that i know like you've actually had a really great relationship <laughs> no i was i was totally kidding oh, okay wait well i see you and your boyfriend on instagram I'm like man they're like couples goals they look so happy and like in love i try i try not to post much about partnerships on insta because it's like you said it's often the highlight reel and i think the more couples post the more they're like unhappy <laughs> i know so i try to like put that energy towards the relationship but yes i have had not good relationships and I know exactly what you're talking about in terms of the you know maybe feeling vulnerable afterwards and just not showing up with the all parts of yourself yes and then I realized okay I am using having sex with somebody as a way to cope instead of dealing with my shit and that's not healthy like it, it's not that I was like a nymphomaniac or anything but I mean obviously he wasn't the he was such a fucking drain he had like no real job he was a leech he was like an alcoholic it was like everything wrong okay with this guy he didn't have a driver's license or a car like it was like bad and so he was always around so it was pretty convenient to have sex with someone that's always available and mm. then I ended that. So yeah, I, he was maybe what you needed. He was like present. He was, yeah, he was present. And he was like, kind of like the bandaid and that didn't last for very long. And then I got back into the deeper work and started dating healthier people and figuring out again, cause it's a whole process of finding who you are sexually after you deal with all that stuff, especially cervical cancer. I mean, and all like, it's, it's a fucking lot, bitch. It's a fucking lot. Okay. <laughs> but you find your way back one foot in front of the other and you're going to stumble and you're going to fall and you can't beat yourself up over it. You just have to keep going and love yourself, you know, even when you fuck up. Uh, thanks for sharing. I mean, I, I think one part about that, I think made me wonder and struck me a little bit was that not using sex as a, maybe as a coping skill. And I, I have some mixed feelings about that because on one hand, Yes, it sounds like you were like not in a good place and weren't dating the kinds of people that were treating you the way you wanted to be treated and that felt good for you. And I think sex can also be a wonderful coping mechanism, you know, and like mm -hmm. self-pleasure and stuff. So I don't know. I think I just wanted to name that for people out there because it's, it's, it's complex um, because – I mean, even now, you know, sex is a good way to, um, unless you're having it with like random people that you're not quarantined with in this moment, that it's a good thing for your immune system, you know, to have like pleasure and stuff like that. If you're having good sex and good sex with yourself. Um, oh, sure. But yeah. Last, last question before we wrap up, what do you think's been, been most helpful in like feeling yourself after all of this complex trauma and when i say complex trauma for people who don't know what that means it's like multiple traumatic experiences built on top of each other that create like an even larger trauma response and so for people who don't know that's what that is um and if people were maybe just looking at your Instagram, they'd be like, oh, she looks like she's like really feeling herself. So like, maybe that's not true all the time, but like, what do you think has been helpful to get back to yourself in that way? Most helpful. That's like, ugh, you're just such, like, I, I want this interview for my podcast. Okay, gosh, girl, it's so good. Um, <laughs> you, could take, you could take both of them. <laughs> you're so sweet. Um, so music therapy is really, really big. Uh, I told you I made that playlist last night and the songs that you grew up with that, you know, you used to dance to or just like to listen to if you're not a dancer, that's honestly such a great, it, it seems so simple, but it really does help. Um, okay. Do you have a top song that you're willing to share that people should 
dance to? Tiana Taylor, How You Want It. Such a sexy song. Oh, you'll love it. I'll check it out. Mm-hmm. It's okay. <laughs> Please do. So I know there's so much more that we could cover, and I think you should definitely come back and talk about all the other things. And in the meantime, how can people follow what you're doing, tune into our podcast on your podcast, um, and all of the above? Oh, you are amazing. This was such a pleasure. Thank you for having me. Um, you can find me, Sid Wilder, on Instagram. You can check out my pod child, Girl Interrupted. Uh, please make sure to subscribe to that. And if you want to leave it a review, even better. And also, um, I have Girl Instructed on the internet if you want to check out my website and Instagram, Girl Instructed. And also, I have a Patreon. If you guys want to see and hear exclusive video and episodes, go check out Girl Instructed's Patreon. And if you want to follow what I'm doing, I'm on Instagram at Sluts and Scholars and on Twitter at Slut Scholars. I'm also a part of this amazing podcast collective called The Pleasure Podcasts. Here's a little intro from one of my friends and colleagues who's also part of The Pleasure Podcasts. Hi, I'm Tristan Terramino, the host of the podcast, Sex Out Loud. I'm answering the Pleasure Podcast's question of the month and telling you my number one sex tip for quarantine. Use this opportunity to expand your definition of intimacy. It might include mutual masturbation, an erotic massage, dirty text messages, or a new sex toy connected to an app. And if you're in the mood for some pleasure in politics, listen to my podcast, Sex Out Loud. 